Hello, a belated Happy New Year, and welcome to the second episode of the Super Lily podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Gillian Saluji, who is an experienced physiotherapist in South Africa. She has a special interest in developing and strengthening therapy services for children with cerebral palsy living in deprived and disadvantaged settings in Africa. She trained at the Bobath Centre in London and has a PhD from the University of the Witwatersrand. For over 10 years, Gillian was Chief Physiotherapist at Chris Harney Baragwanath Hospital in Soweto, where she was responsible for paediatric physiotherapy and the Cerebral Palsy Clinic. In 2005, she founded Malamulele Onward, a not-for-profit organization in South Africa that provides services and solutions in rural areas for children with cerebral palsy and their families. Whilst she handed over the leadership reins at Malamulele Onward in 2019, under her guidance over 14 years, they reached thousands of families delivering therapy and parent-to-parent training, amongst other things. Jillian is now working on a new project focusing on teenagers and young adults with cerebral palsy. Jillian, a warm welcome to the Super Lily podcast. It's wonderful to have an opportunity to speak to you and thank you for agreeing to join me today. Well, Robin, it's my absolute pleasure and I'm really delighted to have been invited. As I've said to you before, your website and blog post are just superb. I think you really have the ability to articulate and capture the feelings of a mother, um, a new mother of a child with special needs. And I think what has really struck me about your blog and your website is that the emotions and the journey that you describe um, are, are stories I've heard from so many other mothers. And I think your journey is so common to all mothers no matter the setting and and you've just been able to really capture and articulate that so I'm delighted to be talking to you um yes from the other side of the world so thank you so much for um asking me to join you today well thank you Gillian I'm so pleased you could join me today all the way from sunny South Africa and thank you for your incredible comments about the blog um as you know it's aimed at parents And I think that what you said really validates what I'm trying to do, which is to provide other parents with information and hopefully community and a parent's perspective. Now, whilst our journey, or the early part of it certainly, has been very challenging, we've been fortunate to have world-class resources at our disposal here in Hong Kong. And I can only imagine what it must feel like in parts of the world where there are very few resources for you, if any at all. Parts of the world I know that you have dedicated your career to servicing. I know, of course, you're no longer leading Malamuleli onward, but with its focus on empowering parents, it would be great if you could briefly share some of your experiences here with us. Could you tell me and my listeners a bit more about the experiences of parents in the areas you've worked in and what it was that led you originally to start Malamuleli onward? Robin, I must be honest and say, as, as in life, you... You know, things don't always work out as you had planned. And it was never my intention to to start an organization. I had been a physiotherapist working for many years at the Cerebral Palsy Clinic at Chris Harney Baragwan Hospital in Soweto, um, where we literally saw hundreds of parents every month and thousands of parents every year. And we, we were a small team, a small team of therapists I mean, we used to see 20 or so parents every morning, and you just have to wonder 
what on earth am I doing? What difference am I really making in the life of this child and this caregiver? And, and is what I'm offering really the best that I can offer or the most appropriate that I can offer? And so I left the hospital to, to, to do full-time research. And I had the luxury, and it really was a, a luxury, of just being able to go and talk to parents around the country, well, in two provinces, the, the northern part of the country, which is a more rural part, and then the urban part around Gauteng. And I really wanted just to listen to the story of parents and try and understand something of their journey. One of the places that I went to was Malambulele Hospital, where I had been years before as a, as a young therapist when I worked in a rural area. And what struck me there so forcibly when I arrived to interview the parents was there was a room full of 30 parents. There was no therapist at the hospital. There were some therapy assistants, 30 parents and their children. And there was this quiet sense of desperation. That's what really palpable of parents longing, not just to tell me their story, but hoping that I would be able to help them. And when I saw the range of children that were there, as a therapist, because I've been working in this field for so long, I could just sense that this was a group of children who had so much potential and that potential was not being realized. And and so I thought, you know, just with, it won't take very much to actually make a lot of difference here. So, and that's how Malamulele started. It was starting with saying, these are kids that have got potential. How do we help them realize this potential? And so got together with a few of my friends, all therapists experienced in working with CP. I had a good friend in Canada that offered to help raise the money to make that first journey possible. And fortunately, I recorded what we did. And we were amazed that in the space of a week, what a difference you could make um, in a child and the children's progress. And fortunately, I captured it. I did before and after measurements and we were just astounded at, at what was possible. And, and that, that started this whole um, journey of saying, how, what is it, how can we um, make it possible for all children in this country to access the kind of services that that they need and it will make a difference. And so, yes, my entry point into, into starting Malamulele was through the children themselves. But the more work that I did, the more I realized how little, how little I really understood and um, understood about the life of the children and their parents and about what to do that would make a sustainable difference. And so it was about learning what were, what were the skills and knowledge that I had to transfer across to parents. And that for me was when the real work of Malamulele started. And it was about making sure that parents understood, understood or had information about what was wrong with their child, what had happened to their child. A space also where parents could share their own heartache in a safe space with other parents. Um, and you've described in your own blog the, the, 
the, the journey that you went on that was really frightening at times um, about this journey of discovery. Why isn't my child like other children? What's happened? And there were a few themes that, that kept cropping up. And it was the guilt that parents carried, the guilt they carried and saying, it must be my fault. There's something I've done. I could have done something that could have pre prevented this from happening. And that guilt was sometimes or often compounded by the family, particularly um, the, the in-laws or the father's family saying, listen, in our, in our family, we don't have children like this. Clearly, it's something that you have done. So there was an enormous amount of guilt that parents carried that somehow this was their fault. The next thing I realized was how isolated parents felt. They often said, I felt I was the only one. It was only me. I don't know other children like this. It hasn't been like this in our family or our community. I feel like I'm the only one. And then thirdly, it was a sense of futility to say that there's no hope. My own future has been put on hold. I don't see any hope for my child at all. So parents were caught in the cycle or this trap of hopelessness and despair. And that had to impact on, on their children. And so part of what Malamulele did, our work was to try and break that cycle, to break the cycle and to say, how do we let mothers in particular know, firstly, you are not on your own here. You are not on your own. It's not your fault. And how do we work together and give you the knowledge and skills that will help you to make your everyday living with your child a little bit easier? Jillian, everything you're saying resonates with me so much because wherever you are in the world, the feelings you experience as parents are very much the same. Now, you have alluded to some of this already, but could I ask in your experience, what do you think it is that parents struggle with the most when they get a diagnosis for CP for their children? And then on the flip side of that, what is it that empowers them the most? What have you found to be the most powerful tool that you during your career have been able to give to parents? Absolutely, it's information. And what you said that yeah. information is universal. So when, what do we mean by information? It's information that, that informs you about why did this happen? Do we know why it happened? What, do we know what the cause was or what equally so, what didn't cause it? And I think working in the populations that I work with, which is in a cross-cultural population, it was really important to help parents. Well, there's a lot of ignorance around a diagnosis of brain damage, cerebral palsy, disability, a lot of ignorance and a lot of stigma, and also a lot of myths around it. So it's really important to be able to debunk those myths and say, these are the things that do not cause the problem. Sometimes we may not know or be able to ask the problem, why did your child get brain damage? How did it happen? Could it have been prevented? We can't always answer those questions, but there's certain effects that we do know that it's not your fault. You are not to blame. It wasn't because you made your ancestors angry. It wasn't because someone has put some sort of spell on you or there's witchcraft. You know, to try and dispel those things that eat up at parents and make them feel really guilty. So helping parents to debunk a lot, or people often felt it was um, because there was a lot of tension or stress around their pregnancy. 
um, or a lot of stress and unhappiness in, in relationships that they were involved in and somehow that stress caused caused this problem. So it's important, so that information is important to let parents know what didn't cause the problem and what might have contributed to it. So it's information around the cause of the problem, but also information around what does a diagnosis of CP mean? Helping parents to understand the nature of the condition, but equally so, information that will help them in their daily lives to make everyday things as easy as possible. But at the same time, know that as they do everyday things with their children, whether it's bathing, feeding, talking, playing, to do it in a way that's going to be helpful to the child. That for me was re is really important to give parents those tools that can make everyday living easier, but in a way that really helps their child and to get away from the idea that if you go and have lots of exercises your child is going to get better and within that it's preparing i think parents also need information for the future um that cerebral palsy if you you know the definition the brain damage itself is not going to get worse but it's not going to go away so cerebral palsy is a lifelong condition so how best do we prepare parents for a lifetime of caring for a child, obviously depending on the child's needs. But and so it's that it's it's I think information and knowledge and also for, as a therapist for me to transfer my skills. I have it's part of my responsibility to transfer that knowledge and skills to parents and because parents are the experts. All I can do is say, how do I help you to become the best parent that you can be? Because we want your child to be the best that he can be both now and into the future. So what is it that we have to do now that's an investment also into the future? Gillian, that's so helpful and speaks to me on so many levels. But I think what's very powerful and leads quite well into the next part of the discussion I would like to have with you is preparing for a lifetime of needs, preparing for the future. And of course, the focus of your new project is teenagers and young adults with cerebral palsy. And it's given me a lot of food for thought. You know, I follow many international organizations focused on CP. And it's very interesting to me that even in very developed countries, public services beyond childhood seem to drop away or are very few. I know that in your experience in South Africa, this is very critical could you tell me a little bit more about why you think this age group receives less support than children, say, under eight years old? Yeah, Robin, this is an area that I just that I've been conscious of for some time. What happens to children as they grow older? Based on what I've learned from the families that I've been working with, because I've been working with families over a long period of time, so watching them and their children grow up now to becoming young adults. Um, the things that I have seen is that why, what happens as children get older? You know, there's the emphasis, as you've rightly pointed out, there's so much emphasis on the value of early intervention. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, the first two to three years of a child's life, they talk about the first thousand days, are absolutely critical. That's when your brain's at its most... Um, malleable neuroplasticity has a huge role to play and so there has been a huge emphasis on early intervention which is important but that has been to some extent at the expense of 
Well, what happens as a child gets older? The definition of CP says this condition is permanent. Uh, a baby with CP is going to become a teenager, is going to become a young adult. CP does not disappear. So to go back to your question, why, why are there so few services for children over the age of, of eight? I think, firstly, there is the whole emphasis on, on early intervention. And when the child is young, everyone is full of hope. Parents are full of hope. And as time goes on, I think one begins to realize, the parents begin to realize, I'm not seeing the difference that I wanted to see. And so I think parents lose a bit of hope and saying, what's the point? I'm not seeing the improvement that I'm expecting. Then there's also therapists have a huge role to play in this. And 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 it's our the way that we, I think, are trained as therapists, that we train therapists how to treat children. We don't train them in how to treat teenagers and, and adults. And so therapists think, I've done, I've heard this so often, we're going to discharge you from, from therapy. I've taught you everything that you need to know. Now you must go on and do it. So children are actively discharged. Or therapists say, we don't have all, you know, we've got a limited number of, of resources here. Our emphasis is going to be on the younger child. And so there's actually therapies not being offered. So you've got a combination of a family that kind of doesn't see much difference. A therapist that says, I've done all I can, and my emphasis is now on the, on the younger child. And then, of course, the child is getting older and heavier. And if we're talking of children with more severe disabilities that aren't mobile, getting around is really difficult. And if you don't have a car, um, and you've got to rely on public transport. So most most children are still carried on their parents' backs, even though there are buggies and wheelchairs around available, because that costs extra. Getting a child on in a buggy onto a taxi onto a bus, it's not easy. And so, as your child is becoming a teenager, it just it's too difficult. You yourself are getting older. Your child is getting heavier. There's a lot. It costs a lot of money the family priorities may change that maybe there's more there's younger children younger siblings coming along the mother doesn't always have all the time that she used to have you know with with if if if, if the child with special needs is her first child and so family priorities may change and also the resources that were available to spend on taking your child to the hospital to get the wheelchair fixed or to go for therapy. Those resources are now, there's different family priorities. So I think there's a lot of reasons why there's so few, if any, services available to children over the age of eight. And as you say, it's not, it's, it's worldwide. The whole transition of transitioning to uh, uh, an adolescent or teenage and adult service worldwide people are recognizing we've got a lot of work to do well thank goodness people are realizing and thank goodness for people like you who are now beginning to turn their attention to this group it would be great if you could tell me what it is your new project aims to do and also about the organization that you're going to be cooperating with so I'm delighted to be able to work with Timian, which is another non-profit organization that was started around about the time of Malamulele Anwood. Daniel Mayer and his wife Anika, who started Timian, um, were some of our early volunteers. And they, Daniel is an orthotist and a carpenter by trade. And what they really saw was the 
huge need of simple equipment and assistive devices. We, they started the organization primarily to supply and make available um, excellent and beautiful um, and durable and affordable assistive equipment. So that's how they started and they have really grown in what they've done. I've partnered with Timian and my plan is to follow up and treat 500 children that I, because Malamulela started in 2005, so that's 15 to 16 years ago. And I want to be able to, I have an, a, a very ambitious project and that there are about 500 children that I knew in the first years when we started Malamulela onward. And I want to go and find them. I want to go and track them down and it's going, these are all in deep rural areas. We've got to find the families, track them down, firstly find out how many of the children are still alive, which is also important, how many are still alive. And those children that are still alive are now teenagers. Where are they now? What's happened to them? Um, what, how much, what, what's the quality of their life like? What's how they how are their parents coping? Are they are any of the any of these teenagers living on their own? Are they living independently? Are they still dependent on their parents? Um, do they have assistive devices and equipment? Most importantly, I suspect that many of them will be in pain um, and a lot of discomfort as they've as their bodies have got have gotten older and they've had probably no access to therapy at all since about the age of eight. What in this, in these settings where the kids or the teenagers and young adults aren't getting any therapy, what therapy do they need and what would a therapy program look like? And that for me is the, the ultimate aim as well after not just finding out about the situation, but saying what intervention is needed. It would have to be home-based. What will it look like? Who will do it? How will we make it possible? And will it work? So... It's an ambitious project, um, and as I said, I'm delighted that I have a partner in Timian, and I'm also going to be doing it together with uh, a, a team of international researchers. I'm hoping together a team that we're going to have a look at this together. Um, this this has not been described in, in an African setting at all, so it is new work for all of us. So it's about Firstly, finding information and then using that information to actually, at the end of the day, improve quality of life. It sounds like quite an undertaking, Gillian, and also very relevant to global CP research. Obviously, something like this will require resources. And I know that you are at very early stages on the project and that fundraising is now a key priority for you to get going. What types of funding are you looking um, for at this point and what would be the best way for people to contact you to provide this type of support? This project can only happen if there is funding, as you've said, and, and the funding, it's going to be a costly project. And the reason that makes it costly is that you've, the time it takes and the distances you have to travel, and these are fairly remote places that I'll be going to, inaccessible places, so you need a vehicle um, to hire a car, something like a 4x4 to actually get there. So it's time just to go and track the people 
to track the teenagers down. And when you're there, I really want to be able to give a piece of equipment to every single teenager that I find, that when you find them, I don't just say, hey, thanks for the information, but that I'd leave their home in leave them feeling more comfortable than when they arrived. And so I want to be able to give each child that needs a chair to sit in, not a not a wheelchair, but a what we call a posture support chair that will accommodate their posture and help them to sit comfortably um, and to be able to seat to seat them properly. And then also to be able to then go back and design an intervention program. So my goal is there are 500 teenagers I want to follow up and I've estimated it's going to cost me approximately 500 US dollars per child and um, or per teenager that I find and with so one could sponsor a teenager or sponsor a chair for a teenager sponsor a trip for a teenager but that's the kind of funding that I'm looking for you know to 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 sponsor a teenager. Um, and I say with $500, you're able to track them down, give them a piece of equipment, make sure that equipment is fitted with them, and at the end of the day, provide them with a program. So if people, I don't have a, a website, um, but the easiest way to contact me is through my email address, which I'm sure you can put on your site. It's Jillian. Dot salugi yes. at gmail.com and I will then channel you um, through to Timian. Um, another way that I'm trying to raise some funding is also going to try and raise some research funding because this is a research project as well. So I'm looking at two different avenues of, of funding. Yeah. That's great, Gillian. Um, I will, of course, include all the information on the Superlily blog and in the podcast transcripts so that if anyone would like to contact you for more information, then they can do so. I mean, from my perspective, I would very much like to endorse this project. Um, I'm not an expert, but certainly based on your past work at Malmulele onward, um, I'm sure that it will be done with academic rigor and gain visibility through your international research partners. And also, of course, you'll be focusing on providing interventions for the group of young people themselves, which is very important. I look forward very much to following your progress. So, as a final question, if you could give parents of children with CP one message, what would it be? The word celebrate comes to my mind, um, and that is to celebrate your child. And to celebrate every, every tiny improvement that you see in your child. And I think, you know, COVID had a huge impact on all of us this, this past year. And it's shown us that how unpredictable the future is. And I think we have to celebrate every moment that we have with our child and celebrate our child for who he or she is. That first and foremost, it's your son, it's your daughter. Celebrate celebrate and enjoy your child. For parents with children with special needs, the world is clouded with challenges throughout your life. You get, you know, going to school, going to university. There's a lot of, yeah, challenges every step of the way. And I think it's really important to see, first and foremost, to celebrate who your child is that your child is unique and your child is special and just enjoy, enjoy and love your child. And 
The other word that, that comes to mind also begins with the C, and that is compare. Don't compare your child to other children of the same age. Your child is unique, and he, he's on he, her, his or her unique journey. So celebrate who your child is for what they are and what they can do and not for what they can't do. My key message is just celebrate, enjoy and love your child. Wow, Jillian, what a perfect message. What a perfect way to end this podcast. And, you know, it really gives me so much encouragement. We really celebrate our Lily, our daughter, and we've learned to celebrate her little successes. I have spoken before on this podcast um, about inch stones, not milestones, and not to compare her to others. Though I have to say that is not always easy to do. And thank you really so much for joining me here today. Um, Caring for a child with CP is not an easy journey for parents, wherever you are in the world, as we have discovered today. Thank you for describing, especially for us, the plight of parents in these underserviced communities as you've seen them in your career and for all the work you've done and continue to do to help them and their children. Your dedication to these young people in South Africa is truly humbling. Jillian, I wish you all the best of luck with your new project, and let's hope for goodness sake that COVID gives us all some respite this year. Thanks, Robin, and happy birthday really for next month. <laughs> oh my goodness, how lovely. Thank you so much. For sure, that's a milestone we're going to be celebrating. To my listeners, just to reiterate, if you would like to support Gillian in her research and proposed project for teenagers and young adults with CP in South Africa, more information can be found on the Super Lily blog and also in the notes for this podcast on Anchor FM. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. Goodbye.